So a question that's often asked about our life and culture is this question. Does art imitate life or does life imitate art? I don't know how much you've thought about that or where you stand on that, but as I've thought about it over the past week, I think that the art that I'm most familiar with, which is TV sitcoms, okay, the art that I'm most familiar with over the last 50 years has done a really good job of running parallel to the family structure that we see in our society. Now, let, me get, let me tell you what I mean by that. In the 1960s, if you go back 50 years, there were shows like Leave It to Beaver, right? Leave It to Beaver, uh, the Cleaver family, Ward, the dad, was able to work. Most of you aren't even old enough to know that this was a TV show, but Ward was uh, able to work and provide everything the family needed so June could stay home and clean the house in her dress and pearls. And uh, Wally and Beave went to school, uh, and all of the problems in the family happened at school. Nothing ever went wrong in the home. The only dysfunction that happened was in Eddie Haskell. It was in somebody else's family, right? And so that's kind of how we feel about the 60s. Then the 70s came, and there were shows like The Brady Bunch. This is the show I grew up with in reruns. Okay, don't get any ideas about my age. I was watching this in reruns when I was growing up. And The Brady Bunch was really the first kind of mainstream depiction of a blended family, right? Carol had three daughters and Mike had three sons and they married. And this was all about how uh, a blended family would integrate. Now, if you're a hardcore Brady fan like I am, uh, you know that uh, Mike's wife from his first marriage passed away. We learned that in the pilot episode, right? Um, But we don't ever find out what happened to Carol's first husband. Now, the creator, Sherwood Schwartz, in, a, in an interview many years after the show went off the air, insists that Carol was divorced, but that the execs at ABC would not let them say that on the show. How far have we come in 40 years? You couldn't say divorce on TV in the 1970s. And then in the 80s, you get shows like uh, Full House. Full House came out in 1984. This is one of my family's favorite shows. There's a lot of 80s shows you can point to with uh, different family structures. This one's about uh, a single dad with living with two bachelors under the same roof. They're all trying to make a living and have a love life and raise three daughters at the same time. Uh, we love this show, but it's not the only example like that. Uh, Who's the Boss? was a show about a single mom and her male live-in housekeeper living under the same roof. Uh, Dukes of Hazard was about two men who live with their cousin and their uncle <clears throat> in the South. And... Um, And then, of course, there's ALF, where a family lives with an alien. And I'm not talking about a foreigner. I'm talking about an alien from outer space. Talk about an alternative family structure uh, in the 80s. The 80s gave us all kinds of those. The 90s, of course, gave us shows like The Simpsons. The Simpsons was the first, really one of the first TV families to really embrace their dysfunction. Uh, Even though Homer and Marge were still married, they faced all kinds of trouble. Trouble at school, trouble at work, trouble from the neighbors, uh, trouble from extended family like Patty and Selma, Marge's sisters who never really liked Homer to begin with. And so we get to see this dysfunction in the family play out on the small screen. Then in the 2000s, we get shows like The Gilmore Girls and Two and a Half Men and Modern Family, which showcase just about every type of family arrangement you can imagine. And so can you see in 50 years how far we've come in the way we uh, display families on television? Now, no matter how far these shows come from what your ideal picture of family may be, uh, we've got to remember that all these families, because they're all sitcoms, they were all created to make us laugh, right? And your family was created for a reason. Maybe you think your family was created to make you laugh, but that's not true. Uh, Well, it might be partially true because God created families for 
uh, partially for our enjoyment and for his glory. But that's the key, I think, is to remember that God created families. The idea of family comes from God. He came up with that idea. And to see that, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning of the story, the beginning of time, the beginning of the Bible. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you and you want to try to follow along, you can try. We're going to skip around a little bit, but all the verses will be on the side screens here. Usually, I encourage you to open your Bibles. If you want to, you can open to Genesis. You may not be able to keep up. Genesis 1, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is so important to remember that men and women are both made in the image of God. This is something I remind couples whenever uh, I do a wedding, that both of you, man and, and woman, male and female, were created in God's image. And actually, in the beginning, Scripture tells us that God started with one man, a man named Adam. And in Adam and God were in communion together. They had this great relationship. There was nothing separating them. But something was missing. More specifically, someone was missing. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, this part is really important to remember because I think even now, we can get lulled into the belief that we can have a relationship with God on our own. That, that we can be a loner and still have great communion with God. But remember, Adam had that. Adam and God, uh, the only two uh, beings that could communicate around at that time, God and Adam had a perfect relationship, and yet God looked down and said, no, that's not good. It's not good for a man to be. Have you thought about that? That's the only thing that we see God creating in Genesis where he looks and he goes, you know what? That's not quite right. I need to fix that. It was not good for a man to be alone. So here's what he does in Genesis 2. Uh, 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, wow, right? No, he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then he says, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. I just want to stop right there and say something about that because so many of the problems that I see in marriages happen because the man or the woman never decide to leave their mother and father. That, that the, the husband or the wife still want to have that relationship they had with mom or with dad, and they don't fully leave so that they can fully bond with their spouse. But the Bible is very clear that a man will leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. And that right there is the beginning of God's plan for family. So from that point on, he tells the man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, he says, go have babies. Like, like, take this land, mom and dad, go fill this earth with people. Have sons and daughters, create a family. And that's what they did. And if this family had a TV show, uh, you might think it would be called Adam's Family, <laughs> but it's not, right? If they had a TV show, it would be a lot like Leave it to Beaver because everything's perfect. It's all as it was designed to be. It's as God intended it to be. But unfortunately, our story doesn't end there. Because not long after that, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that both the man and the woman chose sin over God. And when they did it, it affected everything in creation. If you get the chance this week, go read Genesis chapter 3, and you'll see God, what God says after Adam and Eve choose to sin, that it affects everything. It affected the animals. God cursed the serpent. It affected the earth. God cursed the ground. Uh, it, it affected our work. Like our work was made to be toil. If you ever have a bad day at work, you got Adam to thank for that, 
all right? And so um, if you love your job, well, maybe you've got no sin in your life. I don't know. But if you ever hate your job, Adam is to thank, uh, to thank him. It affected work. It, refre- it, reflected our, or it affected our relationships, all of our relationships, including our family. And so we see the first fruit of that sin in the very next generation after Adam and Eve, the very next chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, as this family, Adam and Eve's family, is so corrupted by sin that one of their sons becomes jealous of his brother and he turns his rage and anger on his brother and kills his brother. He takes his brother's life. And from there, as we see, it takes off and it only gets worse. And to this very day, All of us are suffering the the lingering effects of that very first sin. In fact, you know, if I were to hear your family's story, it might sound a lot more like Genesis 4 than Genesis 2. All of our families, to some degree, have been affected by sin. For some, it's painfully evident with things like hurtful words and hatred and abuse and abandonment and on and on and on. And, And if that's the story of your family and you think, well, where was God when all this was happening? If God's so powerful and he's so good, how can my family be so filled with so much dysfunction? I just want to, if that's you, I just want to tell you, that was not God's plan for your family. He didn't want your dad to leave like that. He, he didn't want your mom to act like that. He, he didn't want your brother or sister to say those things. That was not his plan. It's not how God intended your family to be. God's plan was a plan for a family where mom and dad would love each other sacrificially, where children would, uh, would be loved and nurtured and cared for, where brothers and sisters would look after each other's interests before their own interests, before looking out for their own needs. That was God's plan for family. But like I said, all of us have experienced some degree of distortion from that plan. But I'm here to tell you today and encourage you and tell you that that story doesn't end in Genesis chapter 3 or 4. Actually, the story was just beginning because God, in his great love for us, set in action a plan to redeem the family. And it involved sending someone from his own family, his one and only son. Galatians 4 puts it this way. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, I want you to see that when it talks about us being adopted as sons, it uses a a lowercase s, sonship. When it talks about Jesus being the one and only son of God, it uses a capital S, son, because we're different. Jesus had uh, the Lord God as his father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week, uh, that Uh, So he had a perfect father. You and I, we didn't have perfect fathers. Even if your father was really, really, really good, he wasn't perfect. But Jesus had a perfect father, his heavenly father. And so he's a capital S son. His relationship with God was different than ours. Um, But God sent the spirit of his son, capital S, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Remember who you are, right, Cameron? You are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now, if you have been here the last five weeks, you know we've been talking about the story of a lost son. A son who, by, through his own bad decisions, his own bad judgment, wanders away from his family, 
squanders all of his wealth and comes, uh, comes crawling back home to his family. And he decides on the way that he's going to give this big speech to his dad. And he's going to say, I, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like a slave because even your servants eat better than I've been eating out on the road. And that's what the son was going to say. And then before he gets to finish his speech, his father runs to him and hugs him and cries on him and kisses him and welcomes him back into the family. So he doesn't get to be a slave. He gets to be a son. That's the same grace that God has given to you and me. That when we come back to him, when we find our way back to God, we are made sons and daughters of the Most High Father. We are not made slaves or servants. We're welcomed back into the family. And God's plan for you all along has been that you would have a new family. And some of you are saying, amen to that. I get a new family. But he has been patiently waiting for you to accept the gift of his son, Jesus, who, when the set time had come, stepped out of heaven, was born of a woman. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life, a life that we could never live. He was perfectly obedient to his father, even obedient to death on a cross, a death that we deserved. He was obedient to his father in every way. And in his death, he became the perfect sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. And because of that, we get to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so here's the most important thing I want you to remember today. Through Christ, we have been offered a new family. Through Christ, we've been offered a new family. We've been offered adoption into the family of God. The Apostle Paul in, in, uh, in Galatians there says, you are no longer a slave. You are literally God's child. You have a new father. You have a perfect father who loves you as you are, accepts you as you are, but for your benefit and for his glory, he desires to make you more and more like his capital S son, Jesus. And because you have a new family, you've got new brothers and sisters. And you've got some crazy aunts and uncles that live in the basement that nobody ever talks about. We're not going to talk about that today. But none of us are perfect yet. But what you'll find, hopefully what you'll find in this family of God is people who are striving to be more and more like Jesus. And, and we can encourage each other along the way and we can hold each other accountable and we can suffer together and we can serve one another in love. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. Again, in Galatians, uh, Paul says it this way. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And so hopefully you can see, if you have that verse, Galatians 6.10, especially those who belong to the family of believers, you can see that we have a special responsibility to people who are Christians, people who are in the church, people who are in the family of God. That as children of God, members of his family, we're supposed to uh, look for opportunities to do good to all people, but especially to those who are also in the family of God. We're supposed to be in relationship with other believers. We're supposed to be in a family with other believers. But here's the thing. The believers in God are scattered all over the world, right? They're in Africa. They're in Asia. They're in Myanmar. They're in Noblesville. I mean, all the way over there. You know, they're all over the place. And it's really difficult, isn't it, to be in life-affirming, serving, communicative relationships with everyone in a huge family, right? right? Do you guys have family that are all over the map. I mean, if you're like me, you've got family all over the map. And, you know, how often do you get a chance to go visit your aunt out in California or your grandma who lives uh, down in South Carolina or wherever your family is? You don't, probably don't get to visit them as much as you'd like, probably not nearly as much as they would like. 
We don't get to talk to them, even with all the communication tools that we have. We probably don't FaceTime our extended family as often as we should, right? So the church, the capital C church, the big C uh, church, this body of believers is all over the world. And Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us that this church is filled with people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And that someday we will all, all of us who are believers in Jesus, we will all stand together in heaven around the same throne and we will worship the same God in many different languages with many different colors and many different countries represented. And we'll all stand together and finally on that day, we will realize what's happening. We will finally have full understanding. And boy, oh boy, is that going to be a fantastic day. But that's not today. It's not now. And so as a proxy for relationships with everybody in the capital C church, with all believers all over the world, we are called as followers of Jesus to become part of one of many local representations, the the small C church. And in this case, I'm talking about a place like Genesis. Uh, The book of Hebrews talks about this. Uh, It says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, That's kind of a double negative, not giving up. So in other words, keep meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so we are asked by the founders of the church, we are told that we're supposed to be in a relationship with other people in a local body. And so here's the thing. I get this question a lot. Um, People who come to Genesis Church and love what we do here, love what you guys do here, and they say, how do I become a member? I want to know, how can I become a member of Genesis Church? Some of you come from churches where there's membership and you go through some process. Maybe you go to a class. Maybe you uh, complete some survey. Maybe you uh, do some series of tasks and you are awarded some kind of membership. Well, well, at Genesis, we don't have membership in its traditional sense. Uh, We don't think it's wrong to have membership. We don't hate churches that have membership. We think that's fine. We just have chosen a different route. We want to operate more like a family. And so, would you agree, you can tell me just by nodding your head if you want, would you agree that members of a family do things different than house guests? Would you agree? Yeah? Yeah, right. So, if you're in a family, there are different expectations that we don't expect, like, our guests to have a part of, right? Well, it's the same thing with the church family. And so, at Genesis, uh, if you're a part of the church family, there are three things, three environments uh, that we ask you to be involved in. Now, this has nothing to do with whether or not you love God. Or whether or not God loves you. This has nothing to do with whether or not you're saved uh, for all of eternity. But there's something that we ask every Genesis Church member to be a part of. We call them the three C's. I should say Genesis Church family member. We call them the three C's. And as a family, they're this. You can take notes on this if you want. Number one is, as a family, we celebrate. As a family, we gather together every Sunday to acknowledge the good things that God is doing in our lives. And we praise him for it. We, We sing together. We open up the word together. Sunday morning isn't our only celebrate uh, experience, but it's certainly the biggest one. It's the most common one. Uh, Usually if I meet somebody that says, hey, I I go to your church or I'm a part of your church, I'll say, well, how did you first find us? And they'll say, well, I came to a Sunday service. You know, I drove by the building. I checked out the website. Somebody invited me, however it is. But they almost always came to a Sunday morning celebration first. I love Sunday mornings at Genesis. It's my favorite day of the week. It really is. And I, I, you know, I, I work here. And so I'm working right now. I'm working today, but I love coming to work on Sundays and celebrating with you all. But wouldn't it be weird if this is the only thing we ever did? I mean, think about this in a family context, okay? My, my daughter, Audrey, next month is turning 12. She's been planning her birthday for about six months. 
Uh, she knows where she wants to do it, uh, who she wants to invite, uh, what she wants to eat, uh, what we're going to do while we're there. And so she's very excited about it. But now imagine if our family got together and her friends and we had her birthday party and it was everything that she expected it to be. It was a great party. And then we tore everything down. We packed everything up and we got in the car and headed home. And then finally I said, Audrey, sweetie, I love you. I'm so glad you had a good birthday. I'll see you next year for your birthday, okay? That wouldn't be like a family relationship, right? That would be something different. And so in the same way that families share birthdays together and take vacations together and do long holiday weekends together, and some of our best memories, right, are made in some of those things, that's not the only thing we do. We enjoy celebrating together as a church family, but we do some other things too. And so the second thing is we also connect. The second C is connect. And this is where we remember that, that following Jesus is not a solo sport, It's not meant to be done alone. We were meant for meaningful relationships. God looked down at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be what? Alone, right? It's not good for man to be alone. So we connect. One of the greatest ways to build those relationships, to to move from celebrating together to connecting, is to meet with people, members from your Genesis family throughout the week. And so we want to encourage, uh, we constantly encourage people from Genesis, the family members at Genesis, to spend uh, one or two hours a week connecting with other people, uh, other members of the Genesis family. Now, for some of you, you have one-on-one relationships where you have lunch together, you serve together, you do something like that. But the easiest way for most of us is to get involved in a connection group, to, to get to know others and let other people get to know you. We've got groups forming right now for our fall series that starts next week. I want to talk more about that. It's going to be really exciting. There are couples groups. There are women's groups. There are men's groups. There are two on-campus groups here in Carmel. Uh, Don and Terry Kreitz are leading one on Tuesday nights. Uh, My wife, Benita, and I are leading one on Friday nights, and those are open to anyone. Uh, You can sign up for those groups. You can see the whole list of available groups on our app. If you have the app, have I mentioned that you should download the app? I don't know if I've said that yet today. Uh, Look at our app or on genesischurch.me. Or what you can do is after the service, there are a whole bunch of uh, overly friendly people wearing these sunglasses, these Genesis blue glasses out in the lobby. And they would love to help you get signed up for a group. They will help you uh, look at the entire list of open groups, find out when they are, where they're meeting, and they will help you find the group that is just right for you. It's so important for us to be open to how God might want to use our story to shape someone else and use someone else's story to help shape us. I mean, I can't count the number of times in a group where I've said something or expressed a frustration or a feeling and somebody else will say, you know, that's exactly what I'm feeling or that's exactly what I was going through. You know, when we connect together in groups, we get somebody to share our burdens and to share our joys. It's, it's, It's recognizing that we have a family full of brothers and sisters who are experiencing the same things we are. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, though one may be overpowered, maybe you feel that if you feel a little bit alone, one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There is power, there is strength in being part of God's family. There's strength in being a part of your church family. And so family members celebrate together, we connect with one another, and there's one other thing that family members do. Families contribute Families contribute. So um, if I were to invite you over for dinner, I'd love to have you all. I can't have you all at the same time. Uh, Maybe today. It could be close. I could probably be pretty close. But uh, if you were to come over to my house for dinner, what you'd see is that when you got there, the house would be clean, relatively clean. 
uh, we would cook your dinner, we would serve your dinner, and we would clean up after you. As a guest, you wouldn't be expected to do any of that. That's not what guests do. Uh, so somebody's going to cook, somebody's going to set the table, somebody's going to clean the dishes, somebody's going to sweep the floor, but you're not expected to do any of that as a guest. So we constantly remind our kids, hey, there are some things that you do, some chores you do that you get paid for, and there are chores that you do just because you're part of our family. And if you're part of the family, you're going to contribute. Mom and dad can't do everything, right? Well, it's the same way with our church family. Every week, we do this on Sunday. We celebrate. It takes 40 or 50 volunteers to put on a weekend service. Uh, it's our host team greeting people, handing out print pieces and making people feel welcome. It's our cafe team serving bagels and coffee. Oh, I'm so thankful for coffee because even though I don't drink it, I know that it keeps all of you guys awake while I'm up here blathering on and on and during this sermon. So I'm thankful that you get a cup of coffee before you come in here. Uh, it's our Gen Kids team making sure that even while you're in here, that your kids, if you have them, your kids are down the hall and they are learning and they are worshiping just like we're doing today. They're learning about what it means to serve each other. It's our uh, GSM, our student volunteers in high school and middle school who are teaching uh, high school students and middle school students what it means to follow Jesus. It's our volunteers that come into the office during the week. We have incredible volunteers that come in during the week and maybe they don't serve on weekends, but they come in uh, Monday through Thursday and they serve in our office. It takes all kinds of people, all kinds of talents and passions and skills to make things work around here. And, And there are only four of us on staff. Only four people here at the Carmel campus who are paid to do this. Everybody else you see on Sunday who's wearing a name tag, who's making you feel welcome, they're all part of our family. And they do this to serve. They do this because some point on their journey of finding their way back to God, they had this realization that families serve each other, that that family members contribute. And because they benefited from somebody else's sacrifice when they were finding their way back to God, and they realized, hey, you know what? It's time for me to step into the family. And start to serve. And so as your pastor and as your friend, I want to say something to you in love. And there are people here who have been here a long time, and you serve a lot. I'm not talking to you people, okay? There are people that are brand new here. You're still like just checking Genesis out. And so I'm not talking to you right now either. But the people that have been here a long time, and you still really act like a house guest, that you still wait for somebody else to clean up. You come and go, you still maybe even contribute financially, but you don't really serve. And for those of you who are in that category, if the the Spirit is speaking to you right now, if somebody were to ask you, do you go to church or do you have a church home? And you would say, yeah, Genesis is my church home. I'm talking to you, okay? That I want to challenge you to step into the family and find a place to serve. Are you investing time in your church family or are you just letting mom and dad clean up the dishes? So here's my challenge for you. Would you be willing to contribute two worship services per month in serving? It's about three hours, depending on where you serve. If it's on the host team or the cafe team uh, or in our tech team in the booth back there, that's probably one Sunday a month all morning long, serve both services. If it's Gen Kids or GSM with high school and middle school, that's maybe two Sundays a month. You're serving one service. And, and it's an, an eternal investment. That's the thing about serving is, uh, so last week, if you were here, second service, uh, you saw me uh, baptize four people, um, and we had uh, four people baptized. Two of them were brother and sister, uh, Wyatt and Tatum Hefley, and the reason that Tatum specifically asked me to do her baptism, not because I'm a pastor, 
but because before I ever came on staff at Genesis, I volunteered in her Gen Kids classroom at our Noblesville campus. And so I had her from pre-K until second grade. I made that investment. It was one hour twice a month. And I had Tatum in there, and she was always there. And so a couple years ago, when her uh, mom and stepdad got married, they asked me to do the wedding because I had invested in Tatum. And so when Tatum and Wyatt decided to get baptized, and they made that, that commitment that they wanted to follow Jesus for the rest of their life, uh, her mom said, Tatum, who do you want to baptize you? And she said, I want Pastor Steve to do it. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I had this investment of one hour a week in Tatum's life when she was a little kid, and it paid off in a kingdom way. Don't you want your time to be rewarded with kingdom rewards? I do. I'm so much of the stuff that I do in life, I'm, I'm investing my life in things that don't matter. It just gets blown away with the wind. And then I see something like that where two kids get up here and they say, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And I had a chance to be investing in them. And I had a part to play in that. I think it's so important to remember that that is why we serve. That is why we contribute. It's not, we don't connect or contribute thinking that it can earn us points with God. There's, There's no number of groups that you can join there's no number of discipling relationships you can be in. There's, there's no number of hours that you can serve that is going to make God love you more than he loves you now. There, there's nothing you can do to, to earn a place in heaven. But because of his grace, his radical free gift of grace that we were saved for another life, an eternal life, It's only his grace that allows us to join the family of God. And because God is so generous and so giving and so welcoming, then we in the church want to reflect that serving spirit as we welcome guests into our church home. So what's your next step? Maybe for you, it's to sign up to serve on a team. You know, when you go out in the lobby, you'll see that step into the family banner with these crazy people out there. They want to sign you up for a team. They're committed to helping you find the right fit. We don't just want to sign you up on a team and you're you're serving until Jesus comes back, all right? The the thing we want to do is get you in the right place. So we're just inviting you to try something. Try it for a a month or two months, and if it's not the right fit, we will help you find the right fit. But look for the people in these glasses because they're going to be looking for you. (laughs) And so if you don't find them first, they'll find you, but they would love to have you do that. Maybe, Maybe you want to know more before you sign up. Uh, you want to find out about uh, your gifts and passions and how God has wired you. On the What's Happening piece, you'll see the second thing there is our spiritual gifts class. It's coming up on September 18th and 19th. That's a Friday evening, Saturday morning combo. Uh, it is about four or four and a half hours of just great interaction with other people and with some uh, trained instructors. And they're going to help you see how God wired you uniquely. Like what gifts he gave you, what passions he gave you. Um, what talents he gave you, and how you might be able to use those in the kingdom. Again, you can sign up on the app. You can sign up at genesischurch.me. You can use the connection card in your seat back and take it to the info hub afterwards. Just put spiritual gifts class. It could be for you, the next step is to sign up for a group, to, to join a group, start building those relationships with your church family. My, my on-campus group starts even this week. It starts this Friday. There are some that start this week and some that start next week. Uh, there are groups in people's homes. There are groups here on campus. Uh, there are groups almost every night of the week. If you can't find one that fits your schedule, I'm going to tell you again, in love, maybe you need to look at your schedule. Uh, You can, again, uh, find the people in the blue sunglasses to help you with that. But finally, for some of you here, your next move may just be um, 
to accept that free gift of grace that God has offered you through Jesus Christ, to, to recognize that maybe your earthly family was messed up, but you've got a family of God. Through Jesus, you've been offered a new family. You can be adopted by God that the blood of Jesus has paid the price for your sins and you can be known as a child of God. If that's your next move and you're ready to make it, I'd love to talk to you after the service about that. I'd love for us to just go into a time of prayer right now. If you just bow your head and close your eyes and um, as you do, just ask God's Holy Spirit to speak to you and tell you what your next move is. God, we're so thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus, that we have, we can have an eternal perspective. We can have eternal life because of him and the work that he did on the cross. And Lord, I'm thankful for that. And God, I'm thankful that you've given us this church family to be a part of. And, and, and Lord, I pray that I've delivered this message with, with grace, uh, with the spirit that you'd want me to deliver it, Lord, that it hasn't been harsh but that it's been convicting. And I know that all that conviction comes from you and not from me. And so I just pray that it's received with the right ears. God, I thank you that you've given us this family and that you've given us work to do, that you created us with works in mind, that that you've given us uh, your spirit of grace and you've given us important things to do in the church and outside the walls of this church. Um, I'm so thankful for that purpose and meaning for our lives. Thanks for showing us that, God. I pray that you would reveal it to each and every one of us. Help us see the purpose. Help us see the benefit for us of signing up to serve, of, of joining a group. And Lord, I pray more than that even, that we would see your glory reflected in that. We could see how it glorifies you when we obey your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I've been up here talking about this for a half an hour, but I'm a paid salesman. And uh, I, think, I thought you guys might benefit from hearing from some, from some satisfied customers. So take a look at this. Angela and I really felt a need for community uh, and for uh, people to, to have around us in, the, in our journey. And we were able to get involved in a connection group the second week that we came to Genesis. And um, those people surrounding us um, was a great part of the beginning of our time here. I just really feel like it's been such a period of growth for myself and for my family. We're all serving in one capacity or another, whether it's setting the church for Sundays, youth group assistants, um, small group leaders, gen kids. I mean, we are plugged in, and not because we have to anymore, but because we want to. Serving, that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to be the hands and feet. Do what he came to do. He, he was the one that said, you know, love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Do that. You know, it's pretty cut and dry. You know, if you think that you're going somewhere new. Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody reach you at the door? It's unfamiliar territory. Whatever it is, just be the hands and feet and serve and help. And it doesn't have to be much. It could be something really small. And it seems insignificant, but to whoever you're helping, it could be a really big deal. It doesn't solve everything. If, you, you, if you've joined a ministry team or a connection group here or at another church before, you know you can still come in and out of these doors every week and serve and go to a group occasionally and still not have deep lasting relationships with people. The reason is because you get out of it what you put into it. So sometimes we do those things and we go through the motions, but we really need to make intentional efforts to try to connect with others and to be vulnerable with them and try to grow and learn from each other. In serving, 
we had to step out and say that we were willing to uh, invest in uh, of our time and the things that we you know enjoyed doing to, to invest for the good of everybody else around us as well we've given up time for our church family that's what you do for family you make sacrifices for the people you love